Well, welcome back uh, to the Flea Factory Podcast. Uh, thanks for joining me again today, uh, episode six. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking to a mate of mine called Zach uh, Thu. And Zach is uh, living in Hong Kong at the moment. Uh, so we're going to be doing this uh, podcast via the wonderful world of the internet. Um, I hope you really enjoy uh, hearing from Zach. Uh, Zach and I, um, yeah, have known each other for a long time. Uh, we uh, were at school together and you're going to hear a little bit about his journey and how he has um, spent some time, I guess, putting his life and his passions and his work and his responsibilities together into one, um, yeah, one big life uh, like the rest of us. So I really hope you enjoy uh, this. I had an amazing time uh, having uh, this first interview with Zach and I was super pleased um, and honored that he um, gave of his time to have a bit of a chat. So I hope you enjoy this. Uh, this is uh, Zach Fu. Well, thanks for joining me um, all the way from Hong Kong, actually, which is pretty exciting. So it's um I go I go first episode interviewing somebody I go international how good's that hey, nice first really <laughs> <laughs> Zach you and I went to school together which is pretty funny yeah larger part of the high school huh? yeah you, that's right in and so primary school in no Harvey? so year seven I arrived I arrived yeah. in year seven yeah yeah so we did high school together years ago, dude. we're old which is just crazy huh and. What's been really interesting is I don't think we had chatted for years, like decades, really. And then we caught up last year. It was around October last year. You were back in back in. Yeah, Sydney. I was. I was back in Sydney with my dad's uh, surprise party. Right. And uh, right, that's right. And then I just saw one of your posts on Facebook or Instagram. I can't remember. And I gave yeah. you a message, and then we hooked up with all your kids. Oh, half your kids. Half of my kids. Yeah, that's right. No, it was cool. And you were down, um, you were capturing, trying to capture a sunrise with a drone. Is that right? At DY Beach. That was. Yeah, it turned out to be a pretty, pretty bad morning. <laughs> <laughs> it was good that we got time to catch up and I wasn't it was distracted. Great. It was great. But there wasn't a lot of drone footage captured that morning. No, 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 no. no. Sure. <laughs> I just, anyway, I find it fascinating that after so many years, um, we sort of bumped into each other. And I, I think. What's been really interesting as, you know, I've been starting to think about this podcast and other things like that, you have kind of been in touch with me and said um, that some of the questions and the conversation that I'm, I'm having, and for want of a better word, the quest, which is getting a bit of people are laughing at me about the idea of a quest, but that's what I'm on, um, <laughs> that, um, that, that kind of resonated with you a little bit um, with, I guess, where you're at and what's been going on for you work-wise and life-wise and, and how all that kind of fit together. And so... It was a no-brainer for me that we might have a chat. So let's let's see what happens. So here. I've decided I'm going to start every interview with a very simple question. So yep. this is a question I have um, already asked you. Now I'll, I'll give people a bit of a, a, a bit of background. I send out a survey to everybody who's thinking of coming on the podcast, and um, we were talking about that just before we started, and um. And it's got some very simple questions, but they seem to have got people thinking. They've, um, I guess, brought up some things. And what's been really interesting is lots of people have taken some significant time to answer the questions, which has really surprised me because um, I thought people might just kind of dot point them and move on, you know, kind mm -hmm. of thing. But um, I don't know your experience of the survey, but you, you, you'd said to me that it was a, a, a sort of a valuable process. Well, I, I think... People tend to, 
well, I shouldn't say generalize. I should, for me, I tend to think back on times, like individual segments. And what the yep. survey did for me was it literally went back 18 years. And you were kind of made to think through the whole 18 years of what happened and all the little bits and pieces that happened along the way. And it just brings up a lot of experience and memories that you didn't think you had. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. so I, I must admit, I said to you before, that I, like it wasn't, I wrote the survey because I thought they were good questions, but I, I, another good friend of mine said, um, uh, I'm on to you. He said, uh, you're, um, he said, I know you're a coach. You're a leadership coach. That's what you have done for many years. And he said, I'm, I'm on to you. This survey is really just a coaching intake form. And when you kind of delve into people's lives and get them to think about big questions and mm. uh, probably on reflection, that is what it is, but it, I didn't intend it to be. <laughs> so hey, it's um, good. It's worked out to be good. Right. So if it works, it works. But the first question on that survey is a question I'm going to start uh, my interviews with. And yep. that is a very simple question, which is what did you want to be when you grew up? Um, I wanted to be many things. Um, yep. I went to Covey in year five, I think. Year six, I can't remember. Okay. So at that, that time... Was a, that, was a, that was our school in Sydney, yeah? Uh, yes. Yep. Sorry, Covenant Christian School. Are we allowed That's to mention idea. that? Oh, we have done. Yeah. Let's <laughs> see why not. Um, so when I, I had very, no, I have very traditional, what I thought to be very traditional parents, Chinese parents. Okay. Yep. And uh, from the beginning, I think I wanted to be a mechanical engineer to design cars. Okay. Um, and then I realized my math wasn't good enough. So that kind of changed a little bit. Um, and then it went into human resources, which it was a very uh, safe bet from my parents' point of view, I guess. Okay. Because every company needs someone to hire people and talk to people and come somewhat understand what the workers are doing, right? Sure. Um, but the interesting thing was when I was in year 10, remember that tennis school outside our school? Yeah, right outside the front gate. So Peter Gibson, I started playing tennis there randomly at year 10, and I fell in love with it. And I don't know whether you know... So you didn't have a history in tennis? That what that was... No, I started when I was 16, oh. 15. I don't think I knew that. Yeah, and then okay. it went from there to working part-time for him, like two hours a week on a Saturday morning with kids that are between 7 and 10 or 7 and 11. Mm -hmm. It was a ball. I loved the experience and I fell in love with the game. And from then on, I wanted to be a tennis player. <laughs> um, but my coach did say to me, hey, look, you're starting a little bit late. Um, your mental game will be, need a lot of work. Um, I didn't care. I actually fought with my parents a little bit after high school and I went behind my parents' back and worked out a deal with the tennis coach so that I can work for him. And with the time that I work, I exchanged for lessons. Okay. So after high school, that's what I did and that's what I wanted to be. Um, I think I did about three or four years of that. Um, so so no uni no other study you went straight in that was what you were doing as a job yeah i was working as yeah. a job and cool. fulfilling yeah. what i wanted to be 
what what I right. thought I wanted to be. Okay. Or at least I thought if I didn't do it, I would regret it. Okay. I think that's interesting. Yeah. Um, it was hard work, dude. It was, oh man, I didn't realize it at first. Looking back at it now, I started at five thirty every morning, grooming the cots, mm-hmm. getting it ready for for competitions, and then once the competition gets going. I would sit at the front desk, manage the front desk, manage the ladies who are coming in in the mornings. Um, we have some breakfast set up as well, so we did that. And then after that, it was it was more like a study time for me to do my 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 studies and my kind of trying to do all the not the exams, what do you call them? Not homework, papers. Oh yeah, okay. Like certificate kind of level things. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and then lunchtime, once they're gone, I will start training. Afternoons, I would have to do a bus pickup around the schools, around Chatswood, Linfield, and all those places. And then I would teach for two to three hours, and then I train myself. I would train with the group um, for myself for another three hours at night. And then once that's done, I would go on to restringing rackets until sometime 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then go home, sleep, and then we start the day again. And it was seven days a week. And I did wow. that for three years. Um, it got to a point where my parents said to me, hey, you know studying would be a lot easier, right? <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, but it's it's kind of an experience that I treasure and and to a point like my boss Peter Gibson he became a somewhat a mentor without being knowing that mm. he was being a mentor for me. Um yeah. so it got to a stage where I mean this is I think is one of the most important parts to me when I think back is that he he trained me to take on all the new clients that came that came into the tennis club. So what we okay. would do is we would give like a half an hour introduction lessons. And for me, I have to write a report about that guy to my boss to tell him, you know, what type of player he wants to be, what type of, um, why is he coming here? And what he taught me was by speaking to these people in that half an hour, he, my boss taught me to understand how people learn. Okay. Um, whether it's a, a visual learner, where it's a verbal learner, whether it's in, like um, whether I have to paint a picture to him, or do I have to lay it out in chapters? That's okay. what I'm trying to say. Um, so that was a training. That was a skill that I never thought that I would be training myself without actually knowing that I was being trained for. You know what I mean? Right. So it was a, that was a byproduct of you being in that environment, which you didn't look, you weren't going there to get, but that's what you ended up getting. No, 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 yeah. no, no, not at all. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was. I'll go and become a tennis coach, and I'll learn how to work with people and do sales and 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 learn how people learn. That wasn't your motivation behind. No, that it's not. No. And then and then he made me realize that you know, like it's not really sales. Sales is not sales. You know, if you're not passionate about something, if you're not, if you're not. Um, if you don't love something, you can't really sell it. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm and if you love something, I mean, if you love something, you don't actually, you're not actually selling. You're just that's right. Sharing. Yeah. 
You're telling a right? story. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he just said, I mean, I, was, I, was, I still remember he's saying to me, like, um, you know, if these people come here, they don't want to be, you know, the number one tennis player in the world. And most of the time, they just wanted to share experience. And right. I mean, that's at the point, it's what they're doing. You know, they want to learn something and they're sharing it with you. And you're the guy yeah. who is determining them which coach that he should go to because we have different coaches with different different uh, pitching styles. And uh, yeah, that was that was a good five years of my time. Wow. Um, what else can I, I say? I, it was awesome. Funny, it's, I I knew you were playing tennis and I knew you were working there. I, I I never knew any of that. And like obviously, maybe you never knew any of that until with hindsight. Um, but um. Yeah, what? How interesting that um, what starts as just a little interest and then maybe a part-time job, you, you, and in reflection, can say it shaped you and made helped you learn amazing things. And I think what else is really interesting that that you've said, and I'm I'm seeing as I'm talking to more people, is always a person. Someone always talks about a person at some point. Mm. He says they were really influential, or they were really encouraging, or they. So Peter Gibson for you is like this 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 person that kind of embodies something special and interesting um and and a valuable part of your life and I I think it's the people right it's not just the jobs it's the people inside the experiences that that make all the difference yeah um I think even to this day some of my friends are working in companies because they enjoy the people they're working with absolutely right yeah um yeah well you've got to love what you do yeah, of course. And and the people you do it with, ultimately, that's what yeah. gives you longevity. I would imagine. <laughs> I mean, I'm lucky. I'm lucky to be working for myself, and yeah. most of the time it is by myself with the line of work that I do. Um, but I would, I can't imagine going to work every single day for ten, fifteen, twenty years with someone you hate sitting next to you that you never talk to. Sure. It sounds like. It sounds like. Well, a I agree with line. you, but I, I agree with you, but I think there are there are. Probably people out there who do it. Oh, I've got friends around me who does it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, we'll get to yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so where does that get us up to? That gets us up to like 2000, 2001, um, somewhere around there. Does that get us to there? Yeah. So after that, my um, my parents, uh, they ran, uh, my, my dad runs a hospitality supplies business. Right. And at that time, my father, so the reason why we were in Australia is because my dad got transferred and he was so okay. kind to make a deal with the company to say, hey, look, if you want me in Australia to start up a business, um, I want my family with me. So that okay. was the package. So that's how we relocated to Australia back in right. 1989. Sorry, 1989? 89, yeah. Um, yeah, I still remember the first place we lived at was a, was a motel at Terry Hills. <laughs> like Terry Hills Tavern? Uh, not quite that far down. It was in the middle right. between the fruit market. And the, I can't remember. I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could drive you there. I can't remember yeah, all yeah. the road names. Um, so that's how we came to Australia and we knew okay. no one. We had no friends or we had one business. My dad had a business partner, um, that we hung out with quite a lot when we first, when we first got there, kind of got us on our feet and 
get an orientation. Yep. I don't know what, I don't know where this was leading us into. <laughs> no, that's fine. So that got us to, so it got us to 2001. Your dad was in a hospitality supplies business and that's how you ended up in Australia. So that was. Uh, yep. Okay. So yep. from tennis, um, A night because my dad used to travel back and forth between Hong Kong and Australia. Okay. And by towards the uh, it must be two thousand. Um, I got involved with the family business, and it was okay. set up in Australia. Um, so I was just helping him run what he set up. Um, mm -hmm. I had no idea what I was doing. I. <laughs> Just did what makes sense, and I took everything that I learned from tennis coaching to this job, and it was just okay. about talking to people, really. Yeah, understanding the needs, understanding how they're delivering, uh, time schedule works. Um, and I just managed what was going on, and maybe I added some extra uh, extra bits and pieces on sales and things like that. But yeah, I just kept it going. Start start yeah. learning the family business. And eventually, by 2000, wait, that's not right. <laughs> the years all start to mush into one. So I think I ran, I ran that, I ran that business for about nine months, and then uh, I ended up going back to Hong Kong because of uh, my girlfriend at the time. Okay. Um, and she was studying in Sydney. She finished her master's and the first job she gets, she gets transferred to Shanghai. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so you at that point went to Hong Kong or you went to China at that point? At that point, I went back to Hong Kong to help out with the family business. Ah, right. And, okay. thought, and hey, she I went thought, to Shanghai? Yeah, she was in Shanghai. Okay. I thought, well, because Hong Kong and Shanghai is only about two, two and a half hour flights away. Yeah. So I thought it would, must be a little bit closer than Australia. Sure. Um, Step in the right direction. Well, yeah. To be honest, I saw her more when I was in Australia than I was yeah. when I was in Hong Kong. Sure. <laughs> sure. Um, so, did your parents move back as well to Hong Kong at that point? So the whole family went back. So when I started working at the tennis club, my mother took my sister back to Hong Kong because at that time nice. my dad was spending more time in uh, in, in Hong, Hong Kong, Kong than Australia. Australia. Okay. And because I finished high school, I have a job. Um, they thought, well, let's... my sister was also at the right age to go back to, to Hong Kong to study before the senior schools. Okay, right. So she gets to make friends and then get a bunch of, yep. you know, people who can support her. Okay. Um, so you were left to be self-sufficient at that point? Yeah. And yeah. I was plenty self-sufficient. Um, right. yeah, sure. uh, after the, after the tennis lessons, I was, because I was working so hard. Yeah. Hours are so long. Um. Yeah, it, 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 I did not have trouble. I was making yep. too much. I was making too much for a 17, 18, 19 year old kid. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> did you just buy cars at that point, knowing you? Was uh, no. I, I, <laughs> what did I do? I, I have no idea how I spent all my money. Um, but <laughs> I, I'm, sure, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. I, if I didn't spend that money, I I also wouldn't have gotten the experience I got. Right. So, 
and um, the people I meet. Uh, what happened was that my boss had made a career in Japan playing tennis. So when he came back, okay. he actually had a lot of contacts from the Japanese people. And we had students okay. flying from Japan to Australia to wow. just purely play tennis every single day for five, six hours a day. Wow. Um, so it was good. Like I mean, I made some really good friends. I still have some really close friends from Japan. Yep. And in Japan right now, yep. um, one of which actually married a Hong Kong girl because we all went out together. <laughs> um yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah yeah so you find yourself back in hong kong you're working in a hospitality industry yeah um now so and so i know from previous conversations some of the things you've kind of sent me through that 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 wasn't particularly um you didn't love that that wasn't that wasn't amazing you just um you you got through it and you you applied what you'd learned in other things to it but Ultimately, it wasn't the thing that kind of you woke up in the morning going, "This is what I want to do with my life," but it was it was what it was. Yeah, it, 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 it was, was what it was. It was I was I was learning the business, learning something new, yep. and also learning how to communicate with my parents. Okay. Yeah. Well, right. Actually, well, my parent and my auntie. Okay, because they were all involved in the business. Yes, it's my auntie's business. And ah, she built that from the ground up, and she—I mean, she, she was amazing. She really was, but she was too amazing as well at the same time. <laughs> what does "too amazing" mean? <laughs> you know, she likes to keep track with everything that's going on, and at the maximum, sure. at the max time, we had close to fifty, maybe sixty staff. Okay. Um. And of course, different departments would deal with different locations in the world. And I was in charge of, um, I guess, all the overseas clients because my English is a lot better than all the other guys. Okay. Um, but she made it a point to go through every single email that goes out of the company every single right. night. Okay. So she knew exactly what was going on with any person in the office. She knew exactly the deals that we were doing. <laughs> she knew exactly the prices we were giving that's too low or too high. It was just, okay. it was just a crazy experience. Sure. Um, but also because of um, how she handled the company, she never really had time for herself. Right. And I guess she also slowly, slowly made that part of her life, well, a part of her life. Right. Um, so I imagine you learn things that you so, – so the other thing I'm picking up as I'm talking to people is what, what we do, we do one of two things. We either learn um, what we want to do with our lives by watching people around us mm-hmm. or we work out what we don't want to do with our lives by watching people around us. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. We go, what... yeah, I don't want to do that and I don't want to um, – uh, yeah, I don't want that to be the way that I put my life together because I've seen what it does to other people. Or I definitely want to pursue that because I've seen the benefits of the way that's that's worked. So you, again, start to grow your understanding of how to put life and work together, um, even in a job that's not your ideal perfect space. The time you spend in that um, starts to shape you and shape your decisions moving forward. 
Yeah. Uh, what, what can I say? Um, people <laughs> like to people. People are much clearer on what they don't like than what they like. Right. Yeah. I think it's. I think it's easier for people to say, "Hey, I don't like this. I don't want this." Or right. I prefer. It's. It's not like, "Hey, I. I. I really like this." I, mm. I don't know. I'm. That's a I, really interesting thing. I. I think you're right in the sense that. Um, I think we're more in touch with things that we we go, nah, I don't want to do this. But I'm not sure. People know immediately what they don't want to do. Sure, but then I'm not sure people often are brave enough to do anything about it. Yeah, does that make sense? Like that makes a lot of sense. That makes so. I think I think you're right. I think people. I think you know. You know that you know that this is not how you want things to be put together. But to to then change your life significantly so that's no longer how your life is being put together is you have to show some kind of courage because it's not easy. Okay. It's, it's, it's probably easy to identify what you don't want. It's not easy to then not live like that anymore. It's it's yeah. not easy. And so I'm not flippant about not, it. I'm not like, ah, you should just change your life. No, no, no. And that's, that's tough. That's, that's a big deal. But, um, yeah, the courage to then say, okay, I'm now to put into action the thing I don't want, I think is a is a big step. And I think one of the reasons is the other thing you just said, which I think is also true, is I think people then say, well, I don't actually know what I do want. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to make a brave, courageous decision not to do this anymore, the next question becomes really relevant, which is, so what do you want to do? Mm. And then I think if you have an absence of the answer to the second question, you don't want to get brave moving on from the first, if that makes sense. Because ultimately mm. you're jumping into nothingness. And I think we um, we are far more conditioned to put up with things we don't like for long periods of time because we don't know the alternative. We haven't got all the answers. Mm. So, well, I know I hate it. But hey, at least I know it. At least I, at least I'm, you know, better the devil you know kind of stuff, you know. Mm. Um, but but that I think those two things are true. People are acutely aware of what they don't want, but I'm not quite sure they do know what they do want. And I think sometimes that paralyzes us in between those two questions. Yeah, and a lot of times, a lot of times, when you're going through it, you don't actually realize it until it's a little bit too late. Sometimes, right. And well, that's like the old this, the old adage of any business owner, isn't it? That they spend so much time working in their business that they don't spend any time working on their business. Um, I think that's the reality for most of us that we spend so much time trying to work out our life live that we don't take a moment to have a bit of perspective and see if we're working on the right thing. I have a um, my coach. I've had a coach for years, and he said, "There's no point climbing a ladder if the ladder's leaning on the wrong wall." <laughs> right. And so, That's so true. Um, I think I think um, a lot of the time we're so focused on getting up a ladder that the problem is when we get to the top, we go ah nuts. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> then without, the wrong without one. that ladder, without that ladder, you wouldn't know that you were on the wrong one. That's true, and I guess there's two ways. One, I think you've got to climb up multiple ladders. Yeah, right? there's nothing wrong with climbing a ladder. Going, this isn't for me. You know, we've always started to talk about that. You've done things that aren't necessarily the one thing. 
and I think this is the reality of life and work is we're going to do lots of different things and we're going to learn something in every single season, right? Mm-hmm. So there's nothing wrong with climbing those different ladders and then pulling down it. I'm not talking about corporate ladders and success. I'm just talking about of course. committing yourself to things. Like there's nothing the wrong with that either. But also the, the other side of that is if you just took a second and took a deep breath and take a couple of steps backwards and look up, you might actually see what it is you're heading towards. And so I think if you could do both of those things simultaneously, that, that, that's, a, that's a healthy process, mm. you know. So I, I, I don't, I'm not idealistic enough to say that there's one thing for every person and you need to find that one wall and climb that one thing. I'm not that guy. Maybe other people, that's their life and their experience and that's totally fine. That's not been one, mine. One theory, um, one theory that I have um, in regards to finding the perfect partner, I say to my yep. cousins, I say to my friends all the time, and people generally, or friends around me, generally tend to gravitate towards one type of person in finding a partner. And I keep asking him, like, if you keep going back to the same type of person, how do you know that person is the perfect fit for you? Especially when you keep breaking up with that type of person. <laughs> yeah. Right? So what's the point what's the point of going back to the same old road if you know that road is gonna lead you to the to a dead end? Right. And I guess I I, I guess I also live by that idea when it comes to my career, professional life. Yep. That if one place don't work, then that means that there must be another road. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And we don't know what that road is until you try it. Yeah. You can research it, but until you it's like studying. Right? Yeah. You can study as much and you can have a huge knowledge base about something. Let's say golf, for example. You can read up on it, you can you can watch videos on it, but until you grab that club and you have that ball in front of you, you don't know what yeah, that's you're right. gonna do. And yeah. it's about persistence yeah. and training and get to a point where you're comfortable with that thing that you're doing and sooner or later you'll find out whether you like it or not yeah and i think we look i think we're living in a world that that has changed and and this is part of the you know the podcast is called uh, the flea factory based on the book uh, the elephant and the flea and if you you read some of charles uh-huh. handy's work um he we're living in a changing world where the idea that you would leave school and do one thing for the rest of your life it is not the world we currently live in. Not not the majority of us, right? We, oh, no, we are no, going no to do a variety of things throughout our life. And I think um, we are going to learn different things by doing those different things. And that, that's, a, that's a good thing. You know, I, I think about even my dad. You know, my dad went straight out of school and trained as a fitter and turner, which literally I think mm. everybody did. Like, okay. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's like whenever I asked a bunch of people, they're like, oh, yes, no, my trained as a fitter and turner he never fitted and turned his, his whole life i don't think after he finished his apprenticeship but it was kind of the thing you did but you know when i look back you know he was a he was a policeman and he um he ran a driving school and he ran a bus company and then he ended his career making industrial magnets for welders um oh, like really? just a just a like i just look at his career path you know and he's not my generation and even even he didn't do one thing his whole career. Um, but the world is changing, you know, at an ever, ever increasing rate. And this idea that you, for the majority, now there are some people who will come out of school, study, become a doctor and be a doctor till they die. That's fine. 
and that mm-hmm. there will still be those kind of careers. But the vast majority of us will do a variety of things throughout our lives and we'll bring with us our own personal skills and insights. Especially and we'll now. Yeah. Especially absolutely. now. Um, I know friends who runs a Shopify store and then yep. he has a full-time job. And then he yep. also makes money from streaming gaming at nighttime. Right. Yeah. You know, like it's just different, different. There's no, just what we were taught doesn't work in this world anymore. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, that you're going to get me on a whole nother tangent there, which I want to explore at some point, but I, I think, I'm, well, Charles Handy will talk about in his, in his book that uh, the way we educate young people is uh, currently, and what historically has been to prepare them to work in a factory. So he said, you know, we blow a whistle, they come in, we blow another whistle, they have a tea break, we blow another whistle, they go back to work. And he said, and that, that, that the way that we've educated young people is to prepare them for a life of work where that's how they will work. Mm. Uh, the, the reality is that the world of work we're, we're putting, pushing young people into right now is a vastly different world. It's a world where you have to be creative and resilient and, um, you, you, you know, you, freelancing. and that, Like these things which are not necessarily the ways that they're preparing themselves uh, mm. are being prepared for. And so I guess that segues us to something I'm, I'm fascinated. I'd love to talk to you about. And, and I'd love for you to share. Last time we were together, you <laughs> talked very briefly about two things. Now, you, I know you ended up going into um, design and mm-hmm. into photography, uh, mm-hmm. which is currently where you are now. Is that correct? Uh, yes. I, I, yes, I, right. So yeah. I, I found out that I was really bad at designing. <laughs> right. Okay. That's good. And now there's another job that I'd love you to talk about that I know in there. So I'd love to kind of track this through. But I remember you talking to me about running like a restaurant, like a little private kitchen. Ah, okay. Rest- so bring back, <laughs> bring a, back to the timeline. Yeah, bring back the timeline because that little, that's fascinating to me, that little arc of your story and how you've just tried stuff. Like you've seen stuff in front of you and you've just gone, oh, we'll give this a go and see what happens. I, that for me, it, yeah. So let's go back in your timeline and piece that okay, together. Okay, so <laughs> after working in Hong Kong with my parents' company, yep. um, it, it, I found it really tough. I, yep. you know, we, were, uh, we were more like... Um, he was my boss and I was his worker. Right. Um, and we kind of lost the, the father and son connection, which I okay. really did not like. Um, so I said to dad, hey, look, this is not working. And I think he was quite upset about it because he had yeah. high hopes that, you know, I would come in and okay, and t- look after the family business from there. And uh, he could retire and he could just sit back and give me advice from the couch. And that, w- <laughs> that was at that time. At the time, that was what I really wanted. Okay. You know, I took on the family business. I thought it was very important yep. until I realized it's not, it's just not something that I want to do for the rest of my life. Right. Um, I spoke to my mom about it. My mom was encouraging me to speak out. She knew the repercussion, I think. Okay. Um, but yeah, she supported so me. Um, she joined and- you in your courageous moment. <laughs> Uh, not so not so courageous thinking about it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, so after that, um, my wife had also, it was about three months before our wedding, I think, maybe a little bit longer, 
we bought a dog and she left to work. Um, and that was really to because we wanted to do everything at the wedding ourselves. Okay. We wanted to spend time and plan our wedding so we can enjoy it. I mean, a lot of people would go through the wedding, or I think anyways, and they end up enjoying that day. And the process leading up to it, they never enjoy. It's always a rush. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so we took time off. And after the wedding, we decided to go to Shanghai because it was an up-and-coming place. It was buzzing. Mm -hmm. All the money and all the brands were trying to fight their way into China. Yep. And because she also has been working, at that time, it must have been like three to four years. So she has built up a lot of networking contacts there. And, and, and uh, we just thought it, was, it makes sense to go to Shanghai. But of course, for me to go to Shanghai, I knew no one. Uh, we, how did the restaurant start? So we, two weeks before going up to Shanghai, I met a friend and he was living in this four-story lane houses where it's, a it's quite a traditional house where it's like thin, it's like the lane houses. Yep. In Sydney? Yes, okay. Yep. Uh so it's like thin a townhouse kind of town yes, 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 yes. Yeah. But what traditionally happens is um there's four stories and there's bedrooms in each one and okay. different families would stay together in this one building and it has a common kitchen and has a common lounge room. Okay. Um so like studio apartments that didn't have their own cooking facilities. That kind of idea. Uh yeah. I guess yeah. it's a house that a lot of a lot of, a lot men, of people just a lot okay. of family shared it. Got it. Um, so we were lucky that you know the kitchen was really long. It was well set up. The building used to be lived in by my friend, and it was too big for him. He got a good deal for it. Uh, he said, "Hey, look, if you want to take it on with you and your wife, you should make an offer to the landlord." And at that time, we couldn't actually afford the price that he was paying, so we. We, we, we sent in what we thought we could afford and we got it. And we were two people and a dog living in a four or five bedroom apartment uh, house with a really nicely set up kitchen with marble tops. And we could do breads, we could do pastas. And I was struggling to think of what I could do because it would take me a good six to nine months to, to, to meet people, to sell myself, which I'm really bad at. And and then suddenly we came up with the idea that we would just cook simple home-cooked home meals. Um, and we would charge people for it. And it would be at 10 people max. And we would have set, we would have set courses. It, we did the math. It worked out. And we started doing it. Okay. So you, uh, you, have, no, you have no background in cooking. Or this is not like you've not trained and this is just, you've just worked out this is an opportunity. Well, I've always liked to cook. And because yeah. when I was doing tennis, I had to save a lot of money. I couldn't eat out every night. So right. I planned my meals. And then eventually my sister returned for, um, for the senior part of high school in Australia and right. leading into university. So she was also, my parents were still in Hong Kong. And she came back and she was living with me and I was looking after her. So we cook a lot. It just okay. wasn't on a professional sure. level. Sure. Um, you enjoy it? You know whether... Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. hugely enjoys it. And the meals that we do were 
meals that takes a long time to cook. It wasn't just something that you fry up and yep. you know, it's, it's it's good sauces and good soups and we did breads that you know, let it breads and pastas and basically everything from entrees to dessert we did in house. And we did that for roughly nine months. Right. And I that was the only thing that I could think of that I could actually I hate to use this word, but that's what it is. I trap people in my house for ten oh, for three hours. <laughs> right. Got it. And, you know, like after I cook, I would come out and I'll speak to the clients and the customers and I'll get to know them and I'll get them to give them time to know me as well while over is hopefully what they think was good food. And, um, yeah, just to break the ice and get the network going. I didn't know what else to do. Yeah. Right. I find that fascinating. I just, I just think that story is amazing. You know, I looking back now, we did okay. I mean, I think at Max, we were doing like, uh, what we tried to do is we tried to do five nights a week and we achieved four. Right. Um, and it doesn't have to be consecutive, which was great for us because usually it means that we have, we would plan it so that we have one night on, one night off, one night on, one okay. night off. Okay. And the greatest experience was we ended up getting more Chinese people to come to our restaurant than 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 expats at the time. Okay. Um, because they they enjoyed the experience of learning how to use fork and knives without being in a commercial restaurant that people that they felt yeah. people were looking at them. So it put wow. them at ease. And we knew how to speak Chinese as well. So, you know, we were having conversations. They were, and, and some of them were very honest to say, hey, look, you know, I love it. Can I have, you know, a couple of nice and stocky? I'm, I'm going to drop some on the floor at some stage. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was good. It was, it was really good. It was hard work. You know, sure. But it was good. Well, it doesn't sound like anything up until this point you've done wasn't hard work. It was just different. It was, I wouldn't even say it's different, to be honest. Um, okay. And at that time, I didn't realize how much hours and and how much work that I was actually doing towards what I was doing. Sure. Um, I guess most of the time I'd, I'd, I'd done something, it had a certain goal, I had a certain end that I was trying to achieve. Okay. Um. So you kind of lose sight of the day-to-day things for me anyways. Okay. Is that because you, if you're doing something you enjoy, um, you, you don't count the cost of the the time and effort. Is that, are they connected? Oh, for sure. For sure. Because you don't count it because you're enjoying every minute of it. It's like setting up for a photo, right? Like the, the, the two hours that you're waiting for that one shot, it's, you're also sitting there enjoying nature. You're also sitting there enjoying right. the people around you. You're also enjoying watching the sun come up, you know? It's right. Amazing. Whereby there are different jobs where you would count every minute. There's those jobs where <laughs> oh, you, yeah. you know, those jobs oh, yeah. where you go, oh, what time is it? And you look at your watch and it's like 11 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and you uh, think, surely I, it's 3.30. <laughs> uh, during, during, uh, uh, during high school, during the term breaks, I used to yep. work a job at, so I used to go to church, and this guy we know from church runs a video duplication house. 
Okay. And what he does is he does all the jet, all the educational videos, like the five minute, ten minute long videos that we used to right. see at school. Yep. Um, and he has a master. We had like hundreds and hundreds of VCRs, and we used to like VHS cassette. Yeah, yes. And uh and somehow I fell into this job that we worked from like it was like nine at night until like seven in the morning. Oh, right. And a bunch of us and I got to be really close friends with those guys and 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 a bunch of us would sit in the back of this church and and we would put the master in, press uh put the master in, rewind it. And then put yep. all the blanks in all the different machines and just wait, 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 load, 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 load. <laughs> and then we will press play on one and then record on the other. And it would just clack, 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 clack. Every single machine would start like turning on and record. Yeah, it was good. And while it's recording, we had to do the packaging. We pull the boxes up. Right. To, yeah, anyways. <laughs> so I did and that he, for. And, he, and here we are talking from Adelaide to Hong Kong over the internet. That's a different, <laughs> different time, isn't it? <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah. So we, yeah. That was that was that was also that. Uh, yeah, that was a time to. Uh, that was that was a great time. It was a great. Wow. Um, so <laughs> fascinating. So let's talk about your, um, I guess, your latest transition into photography and how, how like that was the other thing I kind of when we caught up last year I kind of said um you know, did you have a background in photography and other things? And, and he said, no, I, I bought a camera kind of, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, how did, how did that start to happen? And so that this is your, this is your business now. This is, this is how you're sort of earning a living. How, um, yeah. how is, um, how did that transition into uh, photography take place for you? I've always enjoyed capturing moments with, right whether it was a camera or whether it's on the phone or whether it's you know, just mental capture. Um, and photography, I realized you could make a living from it when I came out to do freelance design work after working for the family business. Okay. And I think it was a third or fourth client that I had and, uh, and she was doing a frozen yogurt store. Okay. And they, in on top of designing the logo and the menu, I also they also needed someone to take some photos of the different ice creams that they had selling. Um, so that was how I started incorporating something that I used to do a lot yep. into a professional career. Um, when I first moved to Shanghai. We started the restaurant, we met a lot of people, and I met some filmmakers, and and one of the filmmakers got me to be a cameraman for one day to record video for a yoga instructor, or aerobics instructor, one of the two. Okay. And just so happens he rented this studio, it's called White Space, and, uh, and uh, during the shooting process, it was like two or three days. I started talking to the owner of the studio. Um, for some reason, we went deep really quick. Like, where did you come from? How did you get here? Because he's not a Shanghainese. He's from Hunan. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, he also finished study 
finished his studies and then moved to Shanghai. And at that time, he was interning at a um, advertising agency for 300 RMB a month. So that would be 50 bucks a month. Okay. Um, so he came from he came from that type of background. And I really admired him, and he eventually worked his way into his home studio to shoot jewelry, and then he started his studio. And during that time, we got quite close, those two three days, amazingly. And uh, I started asking him out to dinner, and we started talking, and we became really good friends, and we decided to let's start something together. And uh, we started the photography studio, and that was seven years ago. Wow. Um, at that time, we didn't have that many clients. I had friends who, yeah, I had friends who were working in places like Unilever. Uh, so, have you heard of um, uh, Lux, the shampoo, yes. and yeah? Yep. So that was our first big client, and it was uh, they partnered with uh, the beauty pageant in Shanghai, and we had thirteen great tall looking girls like we were shooting the whole thing in our studio and we were we were so proud we were so happy we made it and yeah we didn't think about you know how to keep it up um right at that time but we just did it and everything turned out great the client was happy and things went on from that was our first project together and we felt like we could work with each other and that's how we just kept going okay and so that's that's the business that continues today for you? Uh, now that I'm... Uh, so recently we relocated back to Hong Kong, my wife and I. Right. So right now we're still trying to work out how to handle that, whether I fly back, whether it makes sense for me to fly back for a project, whether he can handle it. Okay. okay. Um, so we're still talking about how to how to handle the being in separate places. Maybe I can open a se- separate branch here, but okay. it seems not likely. Okay. So that's what you're working through at the moment. Yeah. And then yeah. it also gives me time for my own creative space. Um, yeah. Well, that, yeah. Well, that's the other thing I wanted to chat to you about. One of the things that I love uh, watching on your social media is your street photography because uh, that for me, um, that's a super powerful, um, yeah, it's super powerful. And I think I'm, as I'm hearing you tell, you know, parts of your story, there's a there's a common theme as I listen to you, and I think yeah. the reason I love your street photography is I think that theme kind of manifests itself, and and that theme is people, um, and 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 genuine connection. So so telling a story, sort of an authentic story, and getting to actually know people, like rather than uh, just um. Yeah, it's, and I don't know, I don't know how to describe it. I hope I'm doing it justice. But when I when I look at your street photography, I can see your desire to tell a story, and mm-hmm. for you to kind of tell an authentic, kind of real side of things. And I think what's fascinating for me, I watch you. Obviously, your, the majority of your street photography at the moment is in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. um, and there's all sorts of stories and all sorts of real things happening. You, you're in an amazing place at the moment with so much going on. <laughs> Yeah. And you, but you 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 you're telling an authentic story that that I think is is really valuable. So you know how all that started? No, tell me. It's please. because it's because I felt out of love with what I was building. 
Um, right. Okay. It, you know, like taking photos of yogurt <laughs> <laughs> and shampoos and, and shampoos and, and beer bottles and sure. Um, yeah, it's you but know because, when we first started, and that's the, not because that's not that's not a good business. It's just but you, you're motivated by people and story, right? And so, uh, taking a picture of an object, you, you can do that well professionally. But your your passion is for people and story, right? We, you know, I didn't know that at the time. I didn't. Sure. I, I actually, in reverse, I actually didn't get what street photography was all about when I first okay. got introduced to it. Okay. Like, I just thought it was like random, random shots from random people about random people. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> I got it. Which it, I guess it can be. Some people do. That is their street photography. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. Yeah. And uh, and what happened was when you know we we when we first dug into opening a studio, um, it was a good couple of years before I actually got out of that place. As in, I got my head out of that place because we were so concentrating on on meeting rent, meeting payment for staff, meeting payment for you know external suppliers that we had to get, um, and making sure the projects are coming in so that we could pay ourselves at at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. You know. For that couple of years, we thought, you know, everything's going to be great because clients are going to listen to us because we're professionals and all the advice that we give, they will just slap it all up. But that wasn't the case. Um, in China at the time, a lot of brands coming in and a lot of brands had no idea what they were doing. So, I mean, China is a very complicated market. It's very, very complicated. You know, like at that time, people had no, they had no history. So everything okay. that you're working on is a new experience for them. And a lot of brands were a little bit stumped. So what they end up doing was, hey, that brand, that my competitor is doing that. Why don't we do something similar? Because I know that works for him sure. or them. So it got to a place where every client that we had, they would first say to us, hey, we want something different. But at the end of the day, you work through the process. We wasted like three months. And then it would go back to, hey, I'll do what she's doing. I'll have Got what it. she's having. Yeah, sure. And it, it, after a good couple of years of that, you kind of lose faith. You kind of lose passion. You become a replicator. You don't push yourself anymore. Right. And that's where I got into a rut with, you know, building something that I, I, I so wanted. But because of the mm. process, it kind of killed the passion as well. Right. And... Um, and uh, and uh, and and one day I just thought, hey, look, I need time to myself. And I grabbed one camera and I walked the street. I had my headphones in. I started walking and I started taking snaps of people of what's happening around me instead of looking at what's happening to me. And right. that's how everything started. Gee, that's a perspective change and a half. It took a little while for me to get there. Yeah, but um, even just the concept that you would um you would think to look at what is happening around you, not just to you, that's a that's a massive. That's a but that's a, that's, a, that's what, a that recalibration to, of life, right? But it also goes back to what my mentor has told me. You know, it's not yeah. about you; it's about them. Why are they here? What do they want? You got to learn that, and I guess yeah. that kind of ingrained to me. Um, yeah, not ingrained into me. Yeah. I get what you're uh, saying. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was. It, yeah, that's yeah, and that's that. That journey has now been three years. Um, you know, I started taking video, taking photos of people on the street, and I did not share it. I did not. I just kept it for myself for the first right. year and a half. Okay, was there a reason for that? Why you didn't? I didn't like to be judged. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I was. Yeah, I was too scared. I was. I was, and and now I encourage anyone who who wants to create something to share because you know people. There are so many different people out there. Your your work yeah. is guaranteed to be liked by someone. And yeah, and yeah, if people a, don't like it, who the hell cares? Well, inherently, there will be people who don't like things you do, and yeah, it's just the nature exactly nature. Because the reality is, there's things I don't like. <laughs> yeah, this doesn't mean those things I don't like shouldn't exist. Yeah, and and, and, it doesn't, and it doesn't mean it's bad. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Like you, you take you take the comments and you think about it and you go through it to see whether sure. it's true to yourself. And sure. it is the place where you can improve yourself. But to be honest, you, it's just someone random that you'll never see again making a comment. Right. So why right. should and that we, that's the, two, the rest of your life? Yeah. Well, that's a two-edged sort of the the. The reach we have through social media these days is that we have the ability to um, distribute things like we've never had before. But it also means that lots of people who have no idea who you are can throw comments back at you. Oh, I mean, without I mean, knowing anything a, about you. And to be honest, I don't have a huge following, and I'm not doing yeah. it for the following. I'm just doing That's it right. to please myself. And I right, I, and it's gotten me through the last three, four years without yeah. any trouble. But that's attractive, you know, and and I think that's. The, I'll be really honest with you. This this podcast finally, I spent a long time since I left my last big job. Um, I decided I wanted to run a coaching and training business because that were the mm-hmm. things that I was good at. That that was what I, I've done people development for twenty years. That's what that's what I love, and I love helping people take their next step. Did you and enjoy what you did before? Of, sorry. Did you enjoy what you did before? Um, I was good at what I did before. Okay. That's different, isn't it? Um, I guess it is. Did I enjoy it? Yes. Uh, at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I've, just as you mentioned earlier, what I've done recently in the last couple of years, I've realized what I don't want to do again. Mm-hmm. The bravery now is to do that, as we talked about earlier. So the problem was I've recently worked out I was starting because it's so strong, the pull back to what you know is so strong, mm. the default. Mm-hmm. that um, And especially if you are good at the default, even though you don't want to do it, if you're good at it, they're the opportunities that people seem to bring you. And sometimes mm. you end up saying yes to things and end up doing things. And then all of a sudden you go, hang on, I'm, I'm back, doing, back doing what I'm good at and everyone else seems to clap and celebrate because they all go, mm. oh, it's so great you're here, you're doing such an amazing job. And all of that's true, but what they don't understand is that there's a cost to that, and the cost is is you, like mm. like I'm I'm bearing the cost of this being good, because I actually this doesn't fill me up. This isn't something where I flourish. It's just mm. that I can do those things. So mm, mm, I guess mm. my my takeaway statement at the moment is just because I can doesn't mean I should. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Uh, really honest, I I have been putting off doing something like this podcast because I I've for years have said my career and my life is about helping other people pursue their, you know, the life that they want. And I've 
but that's just a cop out, right? Because that means I don't go after the life I want because I kind of justify it as I'm helping other people. And and that as noble as that sounds, what it ultimately means is I'm just I'm I'm too chicken to actually be courageous enough to push into the thing that I want to do. And so what I want to do is I want to help people tell stories. And that's what I want to do. And so there's a commonality there between your story and mine that I find fascinating that mm. I am I genuinely am passionate about people and their stories and their journey mm. and how they live life. I'm I'm passionate about that. Mm. But I best serve people. And I did this, you know, for 10 years I worked for an organization where I just um I raised my own funds and I did, you know, I I, I just I went after things and I lived very kind of counterculturally to a lot of people around me. And what happened as I reflect on that, what happened was I wasn't doing, like you said, you're not doing that for the followers and the attention and for people. To, it's not about, it's about you doing what you're passionate about and what you think you need to do next. I was just getting on with running my, my race. And what happened was everyone, around, lots of people around me would say, I am encouraged or I am challenged by the way that you go about what you do. And I would say, but that's not why I do it. I don't do it to challenge you or to encourage you. I do it because this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Hmm. And I've realized yeah. recently, again, my coach said to me the other week, I said, you know, what are you going to do next? And I said, well, I think I need to make my coaching and training business work. And he said, okay. And we started talking about strategies. And then all of a sudden in the middle of our conversation, I said to him, can I read you something? And I'd, I'd been working on kind of some future ideas and and, and really just working on, trying to write down what I was, I really wanted and, and what I, I, some was really going on in me. And I'd prepared sort of five or six pages of this stuff. And I just said, I just, there's a section here I want to read for you. And um, he said, please. And, and I read it to him. And he said, that's exactly opposite to what you just told me you want to do next. Like it's huh. ultimately completely opposite. And I said, yeah, I know. That's why I felt like I needed to say it. And he said, okay, so here's the thing. He said, you will never run a successful training and coaching business. I, and he said, no, huh? stop. He said, that's not because you're not good enough at it. He said, you're very good at it. He said, you'll never run a successful coaching and training business because you don't want to run a successful coaching and training business. Okay. That's not what you want to do. Like, you, don't have the, you don't have the passion to get up every morning and make that work, even though you're actually really good at it, like really good at it. I'm like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. So what I'd read to him was what I'd love to do is I'd love to speak and create for a living. I'd love to tell stories and help other people tell their stories through the medium of podcasts. I ultimately yeah. would love to make documentaries. That's what I would love to do with my life. Okay. I'd love to take a deep dive on real stories and discover them and share them. That's what I'd love to do. Yeah. And he said, and as you say that, he said to me, I think – Please go and do that because he said everything I know about you, you can do that. He said, mm. and it's who you are. He said, I, that makes total sense to me. I don't, he said, I don't hear you say that and go, what? He said, I think, I think. <laughs> are you crazy? I, yeah. He said, I don't think that. I think get on with it. Like, please, for all of us, get on with it. Um, How long said, ago you know, was that? This was like a month ago. <laughs> okay. And three days after that conversation, I I put out my first podcast and um, I just did it, right? I've just started. And so, and he's, and I said, yeah, but, and he said, stop. He said, the next thing you're about to say to me is, but you don't know how to monetize that. 
And I said, yeah. <laughs> he goes, here's a hard truth for you. You weren't monetizing your coaching and training business either. <laughs> he said, so why don't you stop trying to do that, which won't work because it's not what you want to do, and do the thing you do want to do and work those details out as you go along. I'm like, ah, damn it. I hate truth when it comes like that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so this is the – so when I say I'm on a – I'm genuinely mean it when I say like I'm on a quest to kind of work it out because I am. I'm trying to work it out and I'm genuinely fascinated by other people's stories because I want to learn. So, so the point is I'm what I'm not hosting as a podcast about giving people advice. That's not what this is. This is not a, I'm an expert in a field. Listen to this and this will improve your life. That is not yeah. what this podcast is about. This podcast is me saying, I have no idea what I'm doing with my life. I'm trying to work it out. I'm trying to do something I love and I want to talk to a bunch of other people who are doing similar things in their own way. Mm -hmm. And I want to learn. And I think as a byproduct, maybe someone will be challenged or encouraged. But it's genuinely as a byproduct. It's not, I'm not setting out to change people's lives. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not setting, I'm setting out because I want to do this. I, I, I'm something about like your street photography. It's something you, you want to go and do. And if people view it as a byproduct and go, that's really powerful. Amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. That's a great, great outcome. Uh, but ultimately it's not the kind of, that's not the driver, if that makes sense. And so, yeah, I'm trying to work it out, but yeah, literally it's a month old, that conversation. Um, oh, wow. And so I'm, I'm on the ragged edge of just doing it. Right. Hey, I'm just, look, I don't know. Let's find that's out. That's the way. That's the way to change. If you want to change, just yeah, by that's right. something that you want to do and start taking one that's step right. at a time. Yeah, as cliche right. as it sounds, yeah. You know, like well, I was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, and I, I guess. Don't... Yeah. No go. Uh, I I I I I really think that people nowadays need to create more. Um, yeah. It, whatever it is, it could be a popsicle, popsicle structure that they want to build at home. It could be anything. Yeah. Just do it. Just change. If you want to make a change, stop talking about it. Just do it. Yeah. That's, that's, and and think, is that switch from consumer to to producer? You know, or, or um, I don't just want to consume. I want to actually yeah. create. Yeah, something. yeah, yeah. For sure, for sure. Um, yeah. I think people need to spend more time with themselves at the same time. Mm. Constant need of people letting people know where you are and, and, and who's around you is just it's tiring. Yeah. Yeah. It's not it positive. Is. It's not productive. It's not not productive in the sense that you're not doing something. It's just not productive as in the personal growth of some or someone dependent on mm. something else. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I say that a lot, but people don't listen. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're probably trying to convince ourselves as much as anything else. Let's be honest. But uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So I get, so my last so the last thing I I thought we we might cover, and I know you've kind of mentioned a couple of things in um in the survey you sent back to me, but I guess the last thing I, I, this is the last puzzle piece for me. It's kind of trying to how people put together their work, their life, their passions, but also their responsibilities. That's kind of that fourth kicker, mm. right? And you, mm. you touched on it just a little bit uh, a moment ago when you said, you know, there's just harsh realities of we've got to make rent, we've got to pay staff, we've got to, you know, we've got to, you've got to 
it's we don't live in that this utopian idea where everyone just gets to do what they love and it doesn't matter if you don't earn any money like this mm. responsible i got five kids like this this yeah. this right this this stuff that whether you like it or not this idea that you can just do whatever like you, it's not it's not that easy and so i guess my question is how has um how has some of those responsibilities uh shaped or at maybe at times curbed your desire to go after something different has there been times where you've just said yeah now's not the moment or and i need to wait it's not it's not the right time or or have you pushed through that and said yeah no i have to anyway or i don't does that make sense like how yeah how has uh, that responsibility kind of been the fourth element i guess to this journey one of the reason why why we also decided to go to shanghai was because at that time everything was cheap everything right. was affordable so that helped a lot for us, for me and my wife. Um, yeah. But first, the first, first real reason it's because I do have a very supportive wife who believes in what I does. Yeah. What I do. Um, we can't underestimate that. She she has been amazing throughout the whole journey. She just kept pushing and pushing and pushing to the point where I started to believe in my own work more because I didn't start doing street photography in the belief to be famous in street photography. And in fact, it's very difficult. If you want to choose to become a street photographer and be famous, don't. <laughs> There's so many people doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And it's become a commercial thing and it's hard to stay that's true right. to yourself. And it's hard to yeah. stay true to the image as well. The soul kind of gets ripped out of that as well. Ah, uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and she has been the backbone that 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 you know like hey that one is a good photo that one mm. is powerful that one is great this one's rubbish you know that one's rubbish too yeah you can throw them out honesty is powerful though right yeah yeah it 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 you I think everyone needs to learn how to intake honesty yeah whether it's positive or negative and don't be so quick to re to, to, to react yeah um but going back yeah my wife i think she was the biggest backbone um secondly was our overheads were relatively yeah. low yes and 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 we i had a partner who also worked as hard as i did right um we don't have kids luckily um so that makes a large chunk of responsibility bearable um and we were also happy with what we had got handed you know right. we don't we yeah. don't we don't we don't we don't get jealous of other people we don't yeah. want to have other people we were happy with what we got we were happy with the lives that we were living yeah um and most importantly we were living in the moment and, yeah and that might be yeah. a bad thing because it also didn't it, it also meant that we didn't plan as far ahead as we should. <laughs> sure. sure. Uh, but living in the moment, I think that was mm. what made our wedded, our, 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 our marriage. And to this day, we're still, we're still doing that. Yeah. I don't think we can underestimate the choices we make to enable us to live the life we want. So yeah. our, our story is, again, it's very similar. We, we moved to South Australia um, because we can afford to live here. 
Mm. Like, I, I can't afford to live in Sydney, straight up. Like, yeah. I can tell you right now, for me to live back in Sydney, I would need to continually do jobs that hurt me. Like, because the mm. jobs would need to be so big for mm. me to earn enough to stay there that there is a, and this is just my story. I'm not talking about other people. This, that I, I can't maintain the kind of job that I would need to be in that space. Now, don't get me wrong, I love Sydney. I love it. Like it's still home, right? It's, there's, there's still, that's part of who I am. But we made the decision to be where we are because we can, we can live here. We, we can, we, our overheads are lower. We can make choices for our family and for our life mm. that I know if I lived in Melbourne or Sydney or wherever, New mm. York, whatever, my choices are limited. Purely by purely by the environment in which I'm I'm living, mm-hmm. and I don't think. But let me say once again, there's real courage and bravery, and it's hard. It's not easy to make that decision as well. That's a big decision to yeah, up and move yourself. Kids, well, yeah. Well, we you know <laughs> we had four kids when we moved in the state, and we moved away from family. And I'm not saying that's fun or easy. It's not. It 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 hurts. Mm. but ultimately you, making those decisions enable you to to get on with pursuing a life and you know for me to be able to be in my kids lives rather than never be home yeah that, i was just about a decision to say, i have probably, to make it, it probably end up to be a better decision than you thought huh yeah um, but like again that's only in hindsight do you go ah right yeah. <laughs> that, there, there's the benefit you know, uh, yeah. um, and so I, do, I, again, I'm not saying it like it's easy. Everyone should just get on with it and do it. No, it's, that's tough. And there are many reasons why people can or can't make those decisions. But um, I do have friends who are stuck mm-hmm. and they're stuck because there are certain things they won't change, that, right. they, that they can change. And there are certain things they can't change. That's fine. But if there are certain things you can change, but you just won't even consider changing, I, I believe the world's a world of sort of cause and effect stuff. Like if you do this, this is the consequence of you doing that. That's just, there's nothing yeah. you can do to change that, right? So yeah. if you live in New York, you need to earn a certain amount of money to survive. Yep. Full stop. That's just like you can't bend reality. Mm. Like, it's like I had this conversation with my wife Katrina the other day. She has, she's so idealistic about things. We go to the central markets here in um, uh, in Adelaide to kind of get some fresh fruit and vegetables yep. and organic stuff every now and again. And we don't go very often, but every time we go, she's angry when we leave. And I'm, <laughs> I said, "Why are you so angry?" She said, "Because I wanted to buy dried apricots for two dollars a kilo." And I said, "Yeah, but dried apricots for two dollars a kilo doesn't exist. Like that's a." That they nowhere in the world do two dollar a kilo apricots like they don't. They're twenty dollars a kilo. Like that's just reality, okay? Yeah. And but every time we go, she gets angry. She's like, I just didn't buy any apricots, and I'm like, oh, yeah, but <laughs> there's no point being angry about that. They don't exist. Like, yeah. So there's no point being angry that you can't get ahead because you live in New York because that's just that's just that's how expensive it is. I, mm. I can't do anything about that for you. So mm. then the answer has to be, if that's a problem, 
move. Like, that's, is, like I, I don't... let me let me. This is something that I came across that I found interesting. Is it because people don't are not willing to change, or people are not willing to sacrifice in order to change? I, I just, I don't. It could be either of those. It could also just be hard. Like it just could just be hard, and and I some it just. And I think we're back to it's what we know, right? We're back to the and, and lots of people go, well, this is home, and I get that. I'm and maybe my personality, or maybe I'm wired, or I, I don't know that I'm. I, I understand that, but it's, mm. maybe it's just hard, and I'm I'm not downplaying that. I'm not. I'm not. And I'm not saying we did it, therefore we're better at it than. Anything. I'm not saying that either. It's just hard. It's just everyone's has the same way, right? Also, practice, I think, as well. Like you know, we got married and we moved away immediately. We were you know a couple of hours away, and then we were, and you kind of it's practice. And so things that big decisions that some people find really difficult, we sometimes don't find as difficult. Not because we're mm-hmm. better, but just we practiced it. Like but you've just, done it before. Right, you've done it before. So you go, oh, well, like if, if all of a sudden you have I'm a not saying type this of expectation. is. Yeah, like I'm not saying this is on the cards for us, you know, ever, but I'm saying if all of a sudden for some reason we needed to move to Italy, mm-hmm. we could probably do it as a family. Like we could mm-hmm. get our heads around that mm-hmm. but because we practiced doing those kinds of different versions of that before. You know, mm. and you've you've done that. You've moved you've you've moved internationally yeah, multiple times, and that yeah, means you've practiced it. You, but you've practiced <laughs> it. So actually, if all of a sudden you're you decided to move somewhere else, you could probably pull that off. Yeah, but, and but, uh, coming back to Hong Kong was a great example because, um, to be honest, we one of the one of the reason why we moved back was because my wife's father passed away last year. Right, um, and. We just wanted to come back and be with the mother-in-law or her mom. Yeah. Um, so from the day that we realized that we should go back to the actual day that we leave and pack up the house and, and ship our dog, um, it was literally two months. And wow. we, were, we were packed up and we, were, we landed. We literally landed in Hong Kong with a new apartment on the ninth or 10th week. Everything right. just happened, and I think, yeah. like you said, I didn't realize, I didn't realize until you mentioned it that we did have practiced it before. Yeah. Um. It's yeah. it's we knew what to expect. We knew how to plan things. We knew, you know, what challenges we had ahead, and yep. yeah, yeah, it's true. And you also true. knew you'd land in a new environment, and you would meet new people, and you would, and it would be okay that it would take time, but things would. You know, all those kind of things you go, yeah, I don't know, but somehow in me I know, I've experienced it before. And mm, I think, mm, 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 mm. So I just, I, I don't know. I think um, I also think some people are just wired for risk. I think potentially you and I are maybe wired for a bit more risk than other people. I, like I'm not, I don't know. That's what I'm fascinated to find out because I want to talk to more and more and more people and, and I want to find out if they just go. Uh, that would be I interesting. Do, I can't that do scene. that. Yeah. I, and And maybe... I'm, I know there are people I'm going to interview who are going to say, look, I've had the same job for 20 years. It's what I do. I just work hard. I'm happy with it. I don't want to move. I don't need to move. Yeah. That's, and that's okay as well. But I'm fascinated by that because that's not how I'm wired. And so uh. 
One of the things I'm wanting to do, I, I guess, we, we haven't done it today as we're talking about it. I'm fascinated by it. I, I do a lot of work with personality indicators um, as well um, okay. uh, with staffing groups and others. And so that I, I use the Enneagram process for personality indicators. Okay. And, and no, as I move forward, I'm fascinated to kind of uh, talk with uh, people I interview about what their personality profiling is as well and how much does their personality affect the way that they put their life together and the decisions they make and huh. okay. their, um, the risk they're willing to take and their courage, you know, how, how, does that make sense? And so yeah, yeah, I'd love yeah. to at some point, maybe I send you some some details. Maybe we have another follow-up chat and we can talk about personality profiling. Oh, around yeah. That'd be fascinating. But um, I think... I also um, like to find that out for myself too. Yeah, because I'm, I think <laughs> what, what's also hard is that, you know, sometimes you listen to a podcast and I mean, you go, oh, you know, I, I don't do... I don't do what they do and maybe I'm doing it wrong. Well, no, maybe they're just wired for that. Like maybe huh. maybe they're just maybe you're just wired, you're hardwired in your personality to try things and, and not be risk averse. And I said to one client I had once sorry, what was that? Oh, I said that would make sense. Yeah, yeah. And I said to a client of mine once, uh, we were working on some coaching and that uh, we talked about some value propositions of what what he valued in his life and it all kind of came out and he, you know, basically he valued freedom, creativity. Um, yeah, like, like they're the things that he kind of valued, that, you know, kind of spontaneity, that kind of stuff. And I said to him, do you know that the vast majority of people, that is not what they value. What, what they value is stability, consistency, yeah. and yeah. dependability. That's, that's actually what yeah. a vast majority of people. And so when you talk about you value creativity and spontaneity, there are millions of people who just go, "Oh gosh, no, please no!" Like I, I couldn't, I couldn't bear to live. Uh, you know. I mean, I mean, it's not just that. It's, it's. I mean, I do value those things too. It's just whether, whether sometimes my job is not in, it's not that stable. You right. know, it's not like yeah. a nine to five job. That's right. And maybe I've been, I, I got also trapped into a, a, a loophole, a loop. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know either. So this is what I'm fascinated by, right? Because <laughs> I, I don't know the answers to this. So what I don't like though is when we – so here's the other thing. We cannot compare our stories to each other. That's the thing. I'm like, we got to stop doing that, right? I'm passionate we got to stop comparing apples with oranges. So uh -huh. your experience and my experience, although they may have some similarities, I can't compare them. They're, they're, it's impossible to compare. There's too many variables, right? For me yeah, to say, I agree. Oh, Zach's just better at that than me. Well, that's rubbish. Like I don't understand that it's way too complicated for you to, to compare those things. And uh, there's, a, there's a comedian that I know who, <laughs> uh, Tim Hawkins, he, okay. he talks about when people tell their stories and they tell yeah. these kind of stories of transformation and you yeah. hear them tell their stories and they tell them, you know, they're, They've, they've, they've got these really horrible, powerful backgrounds that they've overcome and, and they're supposed to be encouraging. They're supposed to make you go, wow. But actually what you end up saying is, ah, oh, I wish I was addicted to crack. Like, because <laughs> in comparison, you go, oh, my life's really boring and mundane. Uh, but, but their story is so, like, they've got such a powerful story and here just little old me is just this boring. And that's what's fascinating because as I talk to people, I say, would you come and talk to me on the podcast? I've had a bunch of people say, why would you want to talk to me? Like, I've mm -hmm. got, there's nothing interesting about my life. There's nothing interesting mm -hmm. about how I've put, I've got no stories to tell. Mm -hmm. and then I ask them a couple of questions and all of a sudden they start telling me stories. 
<laughs> and I go, we've all got sto- we've all got a story, right? But stories. people have decided that they um, it's not an important one. You know, it's not. And so, yeah, I genuinely, I'm doing this because I'm fascinated, and I want to hear from different people, and and how they kind of make it all work. That's the. It's uh, you know, I my my wife used to complain that about me. I don't think highly enough of myself uh, yeah. with my work, with my, you know, I used to think that my photos, all my friends around me likes it because they're my friends and it's not because right. they like my photos. Right. I mean, some of them did and I'm sure some of them also liked it because they're just a friend. Um, sure. Uh, but yeah, I, I, that like before Instagram, um, uh, I was so afraid of sharing things. I was so afraid of telling people my point of view. I was so afraid of yeah. showing people who I am. Yeah. In in, in some sense. Yeah. And the advice is just to do it, right? It's not I mean not advice, it's it's just everyone should just do it. And it, sure. it brings in new things, it brings in new experiences, and it also brings in new challenges that you have to face to yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, the more you do it, the more you practice it. Yeah, exactly. The easier it becomes. Um, exactly. And yeah. So, I, yeah, I just I think comparison's a killer. Comparison is a killer. Um, and um, and our also stories without, have value in them. Also, uh, I, okay, like Instagram right now, I think it's a very unhealthy place. Um, yeah. And I try to do my best to keep it as genuine as I can for yeah. for myself. Yeah. Um, like you said, like comparison sometimes is good, sometimes it's bad. It also depends on how you take it. Like like right. we were saying before, like with criticism, you know, some people take it and some people can't. Sure. And but you see learning reality, how to So I don't know how much of them I don't know if you've ever read any Brene Brown uh, no. stuff. She's a, so she you know, well that's a whole nother podcast, but anyway. Uh, Brene, <laughs> Brene Brown on uh, she's a what she would call a shame, she's a shame researcher. Um, oh, so really? She, yeah. <laughs> so she says, if you ever want to stop a conversation at a party, tell someone you're a shame researcher. Um, they immediately walk away. And so huh. um, she's fascinating. Huh. But she would huh. say two things. She would say there is no creativity without vulnerability. Yeah, because um, she says the very nature of creativity is that it's you, right? So it's yeah. authentic kind of stuff. But she also says that she does not listen to the opinions of anybody who's not in the ring. So she says what actually trying and, and being involved and creating and doing something. She doesn't listen to the voices of people who are um, watching, if that makes sense. So, um, yes, you want to take feedback, but you will. she will only accept feedback from people who are actually in the middle of the wrestle at the same time. So... Huh. Um, the problem with things like Instagram is, and social media in particular, is we, the, we have, for the first time in history, we have the ability to comment on people we've never met from a distance and be super critical of their output. Yep. But, have, but yeah. we're not in the ring. We're completely, it's literally the definition of throwing rocks from a distance. Yeah. Like, and so it's the ability to kind of filter out that and listen to, the people who are in the, in the ring with you trying to work it out. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, the, yeah, the answer is not to take on crit- criticism or input, but it's who do you take it from? Yeah. Okay. So, Brené Brown's fascinating. That, that'll 
uh, one of her books, uh, Gifts of Imperfection, was the first one I read. And there's a new okay. one which um, I've just been doing some work with with some people called uh, Dare to Lead. Um, and it talks yeah. about authenticity and vulnerability and leadership in organizations. Fascinating stuff. But um, yeah, she's got a Netflix special, uh, a new one that's come out. She's very funny. She's from Texas. She's very funny. But okay. um, that is a whole other podcast. <laughs> I just jot it down. Yeah, good. So I'll go research and take a look. Interesting, yeah. huh? Yeah, interesting. So look, uh, I know we're all different and we've all got a story. And I guess that's my the sum up of the Flea Factory podcast for me is that I just wanna I wanna chat. And I think as I mentioned in another episode, I have like fifty five people on a list that I want to talk to already. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm a, ready. I just let's go. That's and a so huge got, challenge. Yeah. So I've got like three people this week already. So you're my first this week, but um I've got someone um on on Thursday I'm meeting and then on Friday I've got another good friend of mine who he said to me I want to come and spend a whole day with you I'm like okay this could be interesting so um, we're gonna spend a day and chat and at some point we'll turn the microphones on and we'll see what happens but um well that's a great thing with yeah. with the acceptance of long long format podcasts right. these days yeah you yeah can absolutely really dig into something what I think the reality for people is uh, the the thing about podcasts is that um it's kind of given people time back in their lives. Like you can't read a book and cook at the same time and you can't read a book and drive, but you can listen and do yeah. all of those activities, right? Um, yeah, yeah, and, um, yeah, yeah. and I think we've, we're getting sick of three-minute manicured controlled pieces of information. We, we know that life is more complicated than a three-minute conversation. Mm-hmm. Like we know that instinctively. And therefore, mm-hmm. if you're going to explore meaningful issues, you need to take the time to talk them through. And especially yeah. when it's not me sitting here for an hour and a half lecturing somebody on how they should do things better, but it's mm-hmm. actually an hour and a half of let's ask some questions, let's learn from each other, yeah. let's share each other's stories. Yeah. And go, yeah. yeah, is there something we can both learn here? That I think is what people are kind of craving. They want more of that stuff. So. Look, flipping Joe Rogan does four-hour podcasts. Like, seriously, that's crazy uh, you know, stuff. You know, it's perfect because it's, I often spent four to five hours editing on photos. There you and go. He's always in the background. It's awesome. It's that's it's, right. Yeah, great yeah. intro. And he, had, look, he has his own set of fascinating guests on as well, and he's a very interesting yes. character himself. But yes. I think um, this sort of more long form, where we we get into real discussion, um, is it is is important it's what what people want so we'll see this is this is the plan it's it's as much as a self-discovery yeah right now yeah for, for me absolutely and if people want to listen while i'm discovering something all power to them <laughs> but i'm 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 doing it because i'm i genuinely want to learn and i want to hear other people's stories and i'm yeah, hey, I learned something. I learned some. I learned quite a few <laughs> things today, which I'll look into. Well, there you go. And I've learned a heap, and I'm super glad that you had the time to come and chat with me. I'm uh, looking forward been... to share more. Yeah, good. Well, you'll be a regular. Let's see how we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. Well, hey, I'm super thankful for your time um, and Don't for your be. story. Honestly, and, um, I am now. I just I'm I'm really bummed that when I was in Hong Kong just recently, I wasn't able to see you. I was. Only in the airport, which, which, uh, you know, but it's all right. Time, time, sometimes work, time, sometimes doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe I get to come down to Adelaide to visit you and your family. Perfect. It all sounds good. Awesome. 
Well, thanks, Zach. I super appreciate it. And um, until next time, um, I'll talk to you soon. I'm looking forward to hear more. Yeah. Thanks, mate. Well, thanks for listening today. I hope you've um, super enjoyed uh, hearing from my friend, Zach. Um, as I said, uh, we've got a few more podcasts coming this week, uh, some interviews with some other friends of mine. Um, I hope you've really enjoyed it. Um, if you haven't already subscribed, make sure you subscribe uh, on your uh, favorite podcast app, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or CastBox, or whatever it is. Uh, make sure you hit subscribe and stay with us uh, as we continue this conversation. Uh, thanks again, and um, I'll see you soon. See ya.